is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 58, our review of recent and ongoing studies in Nash cirrhosis. Stephen Harrison starts this conversation by discussing the reasons for dedicating an episode to cirrhosis studies, focusing on their clinical importance and potential role in the shift to NITs. He then goes on to discuss the phase three reverse trial looking at beta-colic acid. Norman Schottenberg and Mazen Nureddin also comment on reverse. Along the way, the group discusses the optimal patient target for this kind of trial and ways to conceptualize the enormity of the task of driving a one fibrosis level reversal in a set of cirrhotic patients. Cirrhosis is an important issue for reasons ranging from severity of patient disease to unique position in the ongoing discussion about clinical endpoints. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Basic format's pretty simple, which is Stephen's going to take the lead in covering five different studies that we've picked out and take maybe a few minutes to go through each, and then we'll ask questions and comment, and to a certain degree, I'll play timekeeper, and at the end of all five, we'll circle back and ask ourselves, okay, what's the message here? So Stephen, wherever you want to start, dive on in. Stephen Harrison. It's important to set the stage and talk about where the field is headed in NASH and drug development. We, we all pretty much agree that there's cirrhotic trials and there's non-cirrhotic trials, kind of dividing fatty liver into those two camps. Both need to be treated. Both need to be studied. But I think we all pretty much agree that we don't want to put them in the same camp. They're really two different patient populations that each deserve a large amount of attention. We've spent a lot of time talking about drugs in phase two, three that are focused on fibrosis stage two and three. And outside of the conversation we've had with Yorn, we haven't spent a lot of time on the cirrhotic part of NASH drug development. So I thought we would take the next 30, 40 minutes and just kind of talk about where the field is currently in cirrhosis and what better place to do that than on the heels of AASLD. And in that vein, we did have some data presented. We had the baseline data from the reverse trial presented, I believe, by Vlad Ratsu. And then we also had some data presented from Galactic on belipectin, just a kind of a post hoc analysis of the phase two data that really speaks to enrollment in cirrhotic trials. And I think it's important to go through that data. And then there's the Peg Belferman Valkin 2 study, which was a phase 2B readout in well compensated cirrhotics. I just want to briefly go through that, maybe open it up for some discussion. Yorn was a big part of the Galectin data that was presented. Obviously, Manal presented the Valkin 2. She's not with us today to speak to it, but I was part of that study. I don't know if Mason or Yorn, if you guys were, we can go through that. And then I want to spend the last part of this discussion on where we are currently in drug development for cirrhotics. We have three trials currently enrolling. Symmetry with the FGF21 Afruxafermin, Alpine 4 with the FGF19 Aldefermin, and then we have Galectin's ongoing adaptive phase 2-3 trial. And I think it's also, if we have time, important to reflect on the NITs in this space and how potentially we can use our NITs to transform drug development, maybe initially in cirrhotics. And we've talked about that a bit more as well. This is a good time to bring it up in the podcast. We'll also have more dialogue and interaction at NASHTAG this year, where we are fortunate enough to have some of the FDA regulators participating in those discussions. But with that being said, let me just touch on some of the data that was presented. The first one I wanted to 
to talk briefly about was the uh, study design and baseline patient characteristics of the REVERSE trial. So as, as many of you know, REVERSE is a registrational phase three placebo-controlled multi-centered trial to evaluate the efficacy and safety of a beta-colic acid in adults with biopsy-confirmed NASH cirrhosis. So just top line, 3,512 patients were screened, 919 were randomized in about 11 countries in North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. And most patients were white, 16% Hispanic, two-thirds of them were female. And that's consistent with what we know about NASH and advanced fibrosis is that most of these trials are over-enriched with females because it seems like they, once you go through menopause, tend to progress a little bit more quicker. The baseline mean labs was a platelet count of around 187,000, ALT 52, albumin 4.29, total billy 0.75, INR 1.0. MELD was a 7.5, and looking at some of the NITs, the mean FIB4 was 2.39, NAFLD fibrosis score 0.788, and APRI 0.8. So what that tells me is that this is a very, very well compensated trial of patients. The scores are reflective of early cirrhosis, and the conclusions were patients enrolled in reverse represent a population with compensated NASH cirrhosis with no esophageal varices. And I think we get a hint of that from the baseline characteristics in the laboratory data that was presented. They go on to say that the findings from reverse provide critical information about histologic benefits of OCA and its potential role in slowing disease progression, which I think is important when we talk about study design in cirrhotic trials. What's our endpoint? Is it less hard outcomes? Is it reversing disease? And, and I think maybe that's open for discussion. Let me just stop there and see if my colleagues, Jorn or Mazen or even Louise or, or you, Roger, have any comments about what was presented relative to these baseline characteristics from the reverse trial. Jorn Schattenberg. Thanks, Stephen, for summarizing it. You know, I pulled it up and looked at it. And I think from what you said, these patients, if I'm participating in these trusts, those patients are difficult to find by the standard labs that you'll normally get from your referring physicians. The ALT was higher than the AST, which as we've discussed numerous times, they haven't really flipped that ratio yet, indicating a progressive fibrosis. Nonetheless, FibroScan 22 and, and the MRE was also 6.1. So my thinking of approaching this patient population is always it's difficult to find by standard NITs, and we really need those advanced imaging technologies to find them. Screen failure rate, I think, was decent. It's high, obviously, because these patients are difficult, and then you rely on biopsy to correct. But overall, very compensated early patients are difficult to recognize in standard of care. Yeah, it's a good point. I failed to mention also that this was an 18-month trial with the primary efficacy endpoint of at least one stage improvement in fibrosis with no worsening of NASH. So that's a high bar to show improvement, regression of cirrhosis. Even at 18 months with an FXR, it's going to be very interesting to see the results from this. And I think if I remember from the press releases from Intercept, we should be hearing sometime in the first quarter the results of this trial. Is that, that what you guys remember? Mazen yeah. Nureddin. I was interested in the varices part. I think it was based on imaging, not endoscopy. Uh, but I think 
it's okay enough for me that they don't have varices on imaging. And wh why this is important? Few things. The Galactin phase two trial, as you know, it was, I don't want to say a failure. I think it was, they did not meet the primary endpoint of reducing portal pressures when they had the compensated cirrhosis with elevated portal pressures with varices. And they did hit that. They did hit the primary endpoint, which is reducing pressures in the non-varices group. And they also had less development of varices in the two milligram dose. So it seems that if we want to talk about the point of no return, it's possible. I don't want to like jump into conclusions. We're early in this, but it seems that varices is one of these points of no return or when it turn, I don't want to say that common, but it turns sources into a beast, which is harder to treat and you have to rustle it more. So I think that's a very important point to make on, on these varices. It's also one of the primary efficacy endpoint that the FDA has accepted and entertained to be accepted as a primary endpoint, which is what's connected now. It's based in, on phase 2B3. I just wanted to make that comment on the varices. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll just add that, again, this particular trial has a histopathologic endpoint. If there was a situation where this trial is going to be successful in hitting that endpoint, then I think they enrolled the right patients for that because you're taking a very, very mild, almost patients just crossing over from F3. I get the sense when I, and your, your, your comments would be helpful here, I get the sense when I look at these baseline characteristics that with the mean fiber scan that you commented on, some of these other baseline labs, again, just focusing on FIB4 being 2.39, platelet counts 187 as a mean, that these are very, very, very well compensated patients. And we know that variability on liver biopsy is significant. I mean, how many times have we enrolled trials where we do a biopsy and we think for all the world they're a three and they get called a four or vice versa. They're a four, but they're called a three. There's a significant amount of variability here. And quite frankly, it's possible they enrolled some threes that were called fours. But ultimately, this is an early, early group of cirrhotics that if you were going to hit that histopathologic endpoint, you're going to want to do it prior to them developing portal hypertension as noted by varices. If there was a situation where in 900 patients treated for 18 months, you were going to see a reversal of disease, this is the population to do it. It really comes down to mechanism at this point and does it have enough firepower to, to do the job. Yeah. And you know, the FXR, I think, as you said, could be in the right position to do that. You know, after all the discussions we had here on the podcast, I would even want to see something like spleen volume or potentially spleen stiffness on this too and see how that reverses because that's in, in a sweet spot where the spleen really starts to change but it's not fixated yet from long-standing portal hypertension. That would be a decent analysis in this uh, subgroup of patients. Yeah, very good point, actually. I've been talking yeah, about yeah. spleen size. That's, that's a great point. <laughs> that's the one, but that's the great point, but but Jorn, that's the one That's the one downside to some of these trials is they don't get the full complement yeah. of NITs so we can actually mine this data. Imagine if Intercept had done MR elastography, they'd done PDFF, where we could get at spleen volume and spleen stiffness and all these other variables. Unfortunately, I wasn't a part of this trial, but I don't think that that was done necessarily in this study. That I think should be added uh, in the future for yeah. even like the phase two and threes, because we know probably there's a spleen enlargement even in non cirrhotic and I don't want to go to that today. But from what you said, it's important to point out the fiber scan of 22. I know we have the guidance in the so the guidance that 20 is when the, our guidance that don't cons they consider 
them starting to decompensate and they talk about doing endoscopy versus not endoscopy but recent data challenged that number of 20 in, in NASH and there was a paper from the Spanish group published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology I don't remember the first author but it challenged that they said maybe they and they actually have a nice kind of figure showing you the platelet correlation with the stiffness and all that. So it's probably 25 kPa in NASH serotic when you start decompensating, not 22. And also from data that we published from our center, we know that MRE decompensation point is at least at 6.48 or something. So this 0.4 or almost 0.4 less is a lot for MRE. Another point I want to emphasize on Roger is, and I'm sorry to be a little bit tough on the industry for the serotics. I think the serotics is a difficult group and whatever we achieve in them will be great. The point that I want to make is, as Steven said, this one point, they got their best chance to achieve that one point improvement. Nevertheless, I'm still not sure if that one point improvement is fair enough for serotic trials or at least as a test. I was given that analogy the other day and I said going from phase four to three in one stage of improvement is different from two to one. And I gave the example of two to one one is going from DC to New York and four to three is going from DC to Los Angeles. It's not the same distance. So that one fibrosis stage between two and one is totally different for, from four and three. And I think that's why we need the other histological features as well as that's where histoindex path AI play a role. We did present data from Galactin and this ASLD looking at other serotic features. That was not our idea actually. The, the idea started from Lupe Garcia at South 10 years ago looking at nodule size, septum thickness, fibrosis area, and I can talk about this forever, but I just wanted to emphasize that, as Stephen said, one, they got their best chance. Two, even if, God forbid, and they don't reach that end point, I think they got to do a lot of sub-analyses, especially in the NITs and the AI's technology. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, December 1st, with our next episode, in which we review last month's landmark consensus paper on the global NAFL epidemic with lead author Jeff Lazarus. If you want to join the live audience Monday, November 29th at 3.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, email surflive, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, at surfingnash.com with a request, and we will send back a link link to serve as your admission ticket. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. If you're in the States, have a happy Thanksgiving and count your blessings. And we'll see you all on the podcast next week.